Welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and my guest today is Kendall Harmon, an alum in the class of 2016 who just might be the busiest person I know. Kendall works full-time as a case manager with the Mobile Community Intervention Response Team at Comprehensive Life Resources here in Tacoma, but she also has a part-time job as an EMT with the Browns Point Fire Department and is the board treasurer of the Tacoma Needle Exchange. In whatever's left of her spare time, Kendall is also taking nursing prerequisites at Tacoma Community College. Today, as always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma. Here's Kendall. Kendall, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Elena. Pleased to be here. I am just delighted to have you. I want to start by asking you to cast your memory way back. Tell me where you grew up. Where do you go to high school? I grew up in Glen Ellen, Illinois, um, which is a west suburb of Chicago. Um, and I went to Glenbard West High School. And um, what kind of high school student were you? I was a pretty good high school student. Um, I definitely did not apply myself um, in the way that I probably could have. Um, I was a pretty mediocre um, field hockey player for a couple years and scored my mediocre freshman year JV2 team's only goal for the 20 <laughs> or 2008 season. Um, yeah, um, you know, I kind of dabbled in a few things and, um, did a little bit of graphic design for a couple of clubs, but really didn't get involved with things to the degree that in hindsight, I might wish that I had. Um, but yeah, I would say overall a pretty good student who tried a few things, but I didn't really have a good sense of who I was or what I wanted to do. Did you anticipate going to college? I did. And at the time that you were a junior or senior in high school, what did you think that would look like? Like when you first started thinking about college, were you like, I'm going to go to the university of Illinois or I'm going to go to Northwestern or did you know you wanted to get out of state? Like just what were your sort of preliminary, what did you think would happen? I kind of always had the sense that I wanted to um, experience other parts of the country. Um, I actually didn't apply for any schools in the Midwest or I did apply for schools in the Midwest. I didn't apply for any other schools in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, So I applied to schools from the East Coast. I applied to um, Indiana University. Um, I applied to a couple of schools in Ohio. Um, And then um, I got some mail from UPS and it's like, oh, Tacoma, that's basically Seattle where my aunt lives. And um, I know I haven't been there since I was 11 and visiting my aunt, but um, there's definitely a pull to to the West Coast. Well, and I imagine if you knew you wanted to get out of Illinois or you wanted to get out of state, that then getting a piece of mail from a school in Washington state on the West Coast feels a little less like a lark if you're already thinking that that's something you actually want to do and act on. Right. Um, 
yeah, it definitely was more of a like, huh, that seems kind of interesting. I'll check it out. Um, yeah. Um, I don't remember what exactly the piece of mail was, but. <laughs> and then what, what happened to actually get you here? Was there a point in the college application decision-making process that you thought, oh, this is it for me. Like the clouds have parted, the trumpets have played, or was it much more like, yeah, I kind of weighed all the factors and now I'm going to take a chance on this. Yeah. So by the time, you know, all of my applications were in and decisions were in and it was kind of down to my finalists, it was between UPS and Indiana University, um, which could not be, yeah. (laughs) Um, um, One thing that kind of uh, panned out to be the same between the two schools was the financial aid offers I had. Um, UPS has more expensive tuition, but with financial aid and some scholarships, it kind of panned out to be about the same cost. So fortunately, I was able to kind of factor that out of my decision. Um, Thank you, trustees of UPS. Um, But in almost every other regard, they're so different. Um, I could have stayed in the Midwest. I could have gone to a big state school. Um, I, you know, there are some different programs that they offer. Um, And I think what really kind of sealed it for me was walking onto campus with my parents. And my mom, I think, was the one who is least sold on me coming out at UPS. Um, She was worried that I would meet my husband out here and never come home. Um, And surprise, I'm gay, but um, still still probably not returning to Illinois for the the long term. but just stepping on campus and seeing how um, how friendly everyone was and the way that people waved to each other and the giant um, coniferous trees and the view of Rainier. She's like, okay, I think this is the place for you. I'm not happy about it. I don't like it. I'm worried that you're not going to go come home again, but I think this is the one. And so that was kind of the moment where you're like, okay. Well, and in some ways, that's such a good example, because what is really when you think about it, like what's a better indicator than feeling like in spite of all the reasons I think I shouldn't do this or I think I my kid shouldn't do this. Right. Like it's so far from home. It's so different. Whatever. It really I begrudgingly admit that this feels like the right thing. And if you feel like it's the right thing in spite of all those factors that make you have to begrudge admitting that a little bit, that's a that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of felt right. Um yeah. Um I don't know that it was anything concrete, but it felt felt like the right place for me to be. Um I don't think it was wrong. And Did you anticipate at that point anything about your time in college? Like, did you have any sense of what you wanted to major in or, you know, like any of the kind of, I I, I don't like label because it makes the world sound clicky in a way that I don't think it is, but like any of the- Did I know what I wanted? Oh, sorry. 
No, uh, I was just going to say, like, in the ways that I think high school students often think about what college students are like, it's through a very high school appropriate lens of what are the clubs you're in? What are the groups you're a part of? What are the things you're involved in? And so did you apply that lens to the way you imagined your future in college? Um, I did. Um, kind of the, do you know what you want to be gr- when you grow up sort of yeah. question? Yeah. Um And I think I had a lot of ideas about who I was and who I wanted to be um, and what I wanted to do um, and kind of cycled through those during my first few years at UPS. But I think initially I went in wanting to be a special education teacher. Hmm. Um, Yeah, either special education or a vet or (laughs) any (laughs) number of things. I think that is honestly one of the really appealing things about UPS as well is that you don't have to decide. You don't have to declare a major until your sophomore year. Yeah, absolutely. The end of your sophomore year. The end of your sophomore year. Yeah. And even then, I think compared to a lot of other schools where you're kind of on a track, your major doesn't necessarily dictate all of the classes that you're going to take. Um, so I definitely like being a little bit more of a generalist, getting to take in a lot of different things and learn about a lot of different subjects. I did and not end up, oh, go for it. No, you go ahead. What did you not end up doing? Um, I did not end up becoming a special education teacher. Well, that is the big plot twist of the podcast, not to say the quiet part out loud, but it certainly happens that people came to Puget Sound knowing exactly what they wanted to do and were correct and went on to do that. But many more of the conversations I've had have followed the path you just gestured at of I had a general idea and maybe some of the things I like that made me think that profession would be a good fit for me stayed with me but that is not actually where I ended up. So I want to walk through how you got to where you did end up. You became a psychology major. How did that happen? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, And it's been a few years now. So like some of the details are a little bit fuzzy. Um, Despite wanting to go into special education, I actually started on a pre-med, pre-vet track. I think it was log jam my freshman year where they have all of the clubs and activities that UPS has to offer where I came across the table for the pre-vet club. I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. Maybe I should, you know, just take some science classes and just kind of stay on this track for a little while and see um, see how I like it. Um, and so my freshman year, I was kind of on that track taking biology, taking chemistry, in addition to, I think, bioethics and maybe a cultural anthropology class. And um, by the end of my freshman year, I had decided that I did not want to take organic chemistry at 8 a.m. And if I was so dead set against 8 a.m. O-chem that maybe I wasn't cut out for vet school. Um, and now here I am, uh, five years after graduating, gearing up to take OCHEM again. <laughs> and once you decided that OCHEM at that time was not for you and landed on psychology, what did you actually do? What is it like to be a psychology major? 
It's, I should say before you answer the question I ask, it's one of the things I get asked about the most. I think that major captures people's imaginations in a really unique way. And I'm excited to hear you talk about what, what it actually is like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, I think it makes so much sense that psych is one of those majors that appeals to a lot of people because it's so broad. Um, you've got clinical psychology, you've got industrial organizational psychology, you've got um, research and learning and behavior, and you've got cognitive psychology. So there's just a lot of variety in the field. And I think something about it is pretty appealing to everyone, right? Um, learning about like how we communicate with each other and why we feel the way we feel and think the way we think. Um, so there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of variation in terms of the track that you can be on at UPS or careers that you can go into of psychology. But some other things that are common to everyone who graduates with a psych major, at least in 2016, I don't know what's changed. Um, there's a pretty big research component, um, which definitely in hindsight, I'm grateful for my ability to kind of weed through how do you come up with a good research study? How do you determine what is or isn't a reliable source? Um, and that process, um, there's an intro. Um, there are a handful of electives and there are a couple labs. And then the labs that I ended up taking were sensation and perception, which was really a deep dive into how we look at the world and what has to happen between, you know, light hitting an object and your brain making sense of what that image is, um, which was not a part of psychology that I had really thought much about, but it was definitely interesting to get that breakdown. Um, and rat lab or learning and behavior where you um, get assigned a rat and like an animal rat. Like an animal rat, like a live rat. Like a live, Um, whispered, friendly. Yes. Yeah. Boo Ratley. Um, (laughs) What your rat was named? That was what my rat was named. Um, Boo Ratley was maybe the smartest rat in my rat lab class. Um, (laughs) And I will go on the record saying that she had the highest discrimination ratio of any rat in the class. She knew that if the light bulb didn't go on, then she would not get a treat when she pressed the lever and she wasn't about that. She, you know, knew what she wanted and (laughs) was very efficient. Um, Yeah. So we kind of went through the process of training a rat um, initially. um, Are you familiar with what a Skinner box is? That's the one where they put like a pigeon in and it pecks a key and it gets a food pellet. I'm not, no, I'm not familiar. <laughs> okay. There's a picture um, in a box. <laughs> yeah. Um, ooh, uh, Professor Aaron Colbert White is not going to be happy if I get my behaviorists mixed up. But <laughs> basically, B.F. Skinner, one of the, um, the great names in cognitive and behavioral psychology, had kind of devised this contraption to study how animals learn and how they respond to reinforcement. And so what that looks like in the rat lab setup is that you've got this little rat-sized room with a lever that the rat can push with its little paw. 
and it'll receive a food pellet. And initially, you know, we trained it to, we would release a food pellet whenever it walked towards the lever and then only when it touched the lever. And then, um, you know, by the time the rats figured it out, then they were kind of on their own to figure out when they got a food pellet or not. But um, yeah, and then we progressed. Just sorry, real quick before you move on. Like the only way I can think to ask the question that I have is so blunt and I apologize <laughs> for that, but what's the, what's the point of the rat and the lever? Like, what are you learning? What are you looking for? Is the idea to see like how they learn or how quickly they learn? What, what's the yeah. So there are a few things, right? There are different types of learning. Again, my cognitive and behavioral psychology professor is going to be so mad that I haven't retained half of it. But, um, you know, there are, so there are a lot of different ways that we take in information from our environment and respond to it. Like really simply, you have like the reflex arc where you touch a hot stove, you get that signal that says this is bad, don't do that. And then you jerk your arm away and it doesn't even make it to your brain. Um, and then you have, um, I'm totally blanking on what it's called with like Pavlov's dogs and where they form the association between the bell ringing and food. Yeah. Um, and then you have operant conditioning, which is where you have um, rewards and punishments. And, and what this is, if that's I, what this lever, is. I get a treat. Exactly. And, you know, we only really operated with positive reinforcement. That's good. Our rats were very well taken care of. Um, although what they happened pro- to them at the end of rat lab? Yeah. So that is one thing that you are supposed to take on when you enter into the agreement of rat lab is you are responsible for finding your rat a home. Um, and so Boo Ratley went home with her cage mate, Shelly who I really wanted to be named Radicus Finch just to <laughs> keep up the theme. But um, unfortunately I did not have control over what other people named their rat lab rats. <laughs> so I, I think for the most part, the rats get adopted out by former students. Um, I don't think there's ever been a rat lab where the rats have not found a good home. Want to study psychology in Austria, home to Sigmund Freud? How about getting up close and personal with lemurs in Madagascar? Or advance your Chinese and gain on-the-job learning with an internship in Taiwan? Hi, I'm Roy Robinson, Director of International Programs at Puget Sound, and we're pleased to offer students more than 100 different study abroad opportunities on six continents. We believe studying abroad is a perfect complement to a liberal arts education and helps students to become creative problem solvers and develop into global citizens. It also connects students to an international perspective on our campus right here in Tacoma. Students at Puget Sound can pair their time abroad with an academic major in international political economy, biology, Asian studies, environmental policy and decision making, or many more globally focused fields. You can learn more about these opportunities at the Puget Sound website or in many of the stories highlighted right here in the Puget Sound podcast. One 
big thing that I think of as sort of a signature of the psychology major is the psych practicum, something that I believe every psychology major does. And well, why don't you tell us what it is? Yeah. So again, at least as of 2016, it wasn't a requirement of the psych major, but I would recommend that everyone going through the psych program does practicum. Um, I, so my advisor um, was Professor Jill Neely Moore, um, who's fantastic. And I think have such practical advice about not only how do I take classes that I'm interested in, but how do I kind of figure out how to make a career for myself. Um, And so she is the one who teaches the psych practicum course and you get placed in an internship with a local organization. There's a lot of variety in terms of placement too. So there's someone in my class who is shadowing a forensic psychologist. Um, One of my good friends was placed at the new Phoebe house, which is an organization that helps um, young mothers transitioning out of homelessness or incarceration or um, substance use, um, learn how to parent their young children. Um, And I ended up working with Comprehensive Life Resources, the agency that I currently work for, just kind of following around people in different programs with comp. Um, And one thing that was really nice about the psych practicum program was not only that you have the opportunity to kind of try out being in the field, um, working with people one-on-one, seeing what psychology looks like um, in a clinical or legal or social services setting, but also you have the supportive group of your peers and a professor to kind of help you process that experience. What's useful about it? What's hard about it? How does it impact what you want to do when you graduate? And how, speaking of how it impacts what you want to do when you graduate, how did you get from your practicum with Comprehensive to your job at Comprehensive? Yeah, so I... Immediately after I graduated, I ended up working for one of our residential treatment programs. Um, You say our comprehensives. Comprehensive, correct. Um, I've just been with comprehensive for so long. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is us. This is our. Um, uh, Yeah, so I worked for um, CLR's um, residential treatment program, um, Park Place, for a few months before there's an opening in our employment services department, which at the time was pretty much just me and my supervisor. Um, And despite me having had relatively little experience, they offered me a position in that program. um, And I worked essentially as a case manager for um, adults with um, any kind of behavioral health diagnosis from depression to schizophrenia, um, trying to help them identify educational or career goals and then achieve those. And I think the benefit of going from being a practicum student to working in the field was when people knew me. Um, I don't think I had worked directly with 
the um, person who became my supervisor, but, um, you know, she had heard about work that I'd done as a practicum student. She'd heard from my task instructor. Um, and I had also gotten to know the organization. So I went into this job and it wasn't completely unfamiliar to me. And I knew that this was an organization that had supportive staff that welcomed people who are new to the field and that I was largely on board with the mission of what CLR was trying to do. And my impression is that you have been able to grow at Comprehensive too. I mean, you now have a a distinct job and different team and work and obviously all under the mission of Comprehensive. Um, Right. But, but different work, you've been able to explore different, what's the right term, subfields maybe, or different specialties? Yeah, I don't, it's a good question um, <laughs> what the word is, but yeah, so CLR is actually a pretty big organization. I think we have, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but I think we have somewhere between 300 and 500 employees. Um, and we've got a pretty big variety of programs too, from residential treatment facilities for both youth and adults. Um, We had taken over a contract for the youth shelter from the city of Tacoma. Um, There are outreach programs, there are outpatient programs. So the type of counseling setting where people would come in and meet with their therapist in a clinic. Um, And Um, Yeah, so just a lot of variety in terms of the services that Comp offers. The benefit of that as an employee is that you get to try new things, and they're really an employer that encourages that. So I had done employment services for, I think, about three years and just kind of decided that I was ready for a change. Um, Went back to school and got my EMT certification and then you while you were working, when you said went back. While I was working, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I stayed with Comprehensive, um, got my EMT certification, and then was kind of dragging my feet on going to apply to work for an ambulance company or a hospital. And what I eventually decided to do was apply for an opening with our Mobile Community Intervention Response Team, or MCERT. Um, where I could work with high utilizers of 911 and provide case management services and kind of combine this psychology, social services background with wanting to get more involved in the medical field and work with people who are dealing with physical as well as mental health diagnoses. And tell me a little bit about what your job actually is. Like when you go to work every day, what do you do? And when you say a high utilizer of 911, put put that into context about the yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, good question. Um, so one thing that I really love about my job is that there is no typical day. Um, you know, we really meet people where they're at and out in the community. And I have a lot of flexibility um, today without revealing too much information because I want to be respectful of my client's privacy. Um, We actually got to have an end of life conversation with someone's spiritual leader. Um, And so that's not something that I necessarily anticipated myself doing. Um, There 
are times when we get to, um, maybe one of our clients is lonely and they could use a companion animal. And so I've had coworkers take their clients to the Humane Society to look for, look at dogs. Um, we bought one of our clients a bike. Like there's some, there's some variety in terms of what we do. Um, but to go back to your question of what is a high utilizer of 911 and what's the overall goal of my job? Um, a high utilizer kind of varies, um, but we work with a lot of people who are calling 911 anywhere from maybe three, four, five times a year to um, a few hundred times a year. And just kind of try and get to the bottom of why that is. When I interviewed for my job, my supervisor described it as kind of detective work. There's the problem that you see on paper that someone's calling 911 when they quote unquote shouldn't be. And then there's the underlying reason. Is it because they're lonely? Is it because they are unable to get to their primary care doctor? Is it because they just haven't been able to afford a new walker and they haven't known how to call their insurance company to contact them? And so my job on a day-to-day basis kind of entails, you know, getting a referral, taking it in and looking at the whole picture of someone's life and not only what's going on, what diagnoses do they have, why are they calling 911 and what should they do instead, but trying to get to the underlying question of what support does this person need that they don't currently have and how can we get them connected to that support? which was also really the question when I was doing employment services, you know, what does this person want to do and how do we get them there? You mentioned a few moments ago that a big part of what you've liked about your professional trajectory is getting to think from a medical perspective um, about people and services and where those intersections are. And of course, now you're taking classes anticipating nursing school and the possibility of nursing school Do you think that's, is that what comes next? Do you think? That is the plan. Um, First, I've got to get in. Um, But yeah, um, I've got about a year of prereqs and then um, I'm looking at nursing programs. I think a huge part of what kind of spurred that decision for me was working with nurses in my current job and just hearing their perspective on how do you look at like the human side of a problem and how do you not see a problem, but see the care that you're able to provide? Um, And I feel like the term person centered has become almost like a cliche in psychology, Um, but it it really is. Um, And so that's kind of what drew me to that field. I think seeing what the nurses on my team are able to do makes me feel pretty confident that it's a good next step. I'm curious about as you center that as a next step, you know, nursing school is something that some people do right out of high school and that wouldn't be, it's not your trajectory. How do you feel about that? I know some of the questions I sometimes get from what I will um, characterize as nervous people usually about their kids is like, why would I pay all this money for my kid to get this degree if there's a shorter, cheaper, quicker path to that outcome 
do you feel that way? I mean, how do you, what, how do you feel about the path that you're taking? Um, as a quote unquote nervous person, I definitely relate to that sense of, um, am I behind? Should I be doing something else? Is this really the most efficient way to do what I need to do? Um, but when I'm able to kind of take a step back from that nervousness, um, I'm really glad that my career has taken the path that it's taken. Um, I think there are people who come out of high school and they are fantastic nurses and EMTs and become fast, fantastic doctors or lawyers or um, teachers or whatever they want to be. I think in terms of where I was at, at 18, 19, I think I had a lot of learning and growing up to do. Um, and I think taking the path that I've taken, kind of wandering through a few different academic fields, like getting to take a little bit of sociology here, a little bit of science here, a little bit of psychology here, um, has kind of helped give me perspective that I bring into the work I do. Um, I like being able to kind of ground the work I'm doing in different perspectives and be able to draw on Professor Ben Lewin's Sociology of Health and Medicine class, um, especially during those times when I get caught up in the day-to-day -day of what I'm doing be able to think about like, wait, am I applying a medical model here where I really shouldn't be? Um, what if we look at the social model of disability instead? And I think having that foundation has helped me become a better professional than I would otherwise. And I think likewise, having taken some time off between graduating college and re-entering um, the academic setting, looking at nursing school, I'm glad that I do have some professional experience to kind of ground what I want to do next. Um, so it's hard to, it's hard to say um, the trajectory I've had is the trajectory I've had. And at least in hindsight, I'm glad I've had it. Do you think college in Puget Sound mattered for you personally, as well as professionally? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, Again, it's one of those things that I can't say how my life would be different because I can't picture having another community other than the one that I have. Um, a lot of the relationships I have from college are still some of the most foundational relationships in my life. Um, I'm actually going to be a maid of honor in my mm -hmm. freshman year roommate's wedding this upcoming fall. Um, and... Yeah, I think the community I found at UPS and the ways that I learned how to learn and learned how to be a friend and learned how to have a civil discussion with people and how to try new things and how to be away from my support system and still be okay, I think were really foundational. Um, and I don't know that I would have found that if I had, you know, stayed close to home or gone another route. Kendall, we end every episode by asking everybody the same four questions. The first question is, where is your favorite place on campus? Ooh, good question. I should have thought more about this one. I've thought more about, 
I know the questions that are coming as a <laughs> long time, long time listener, first time caller. Um, <laughs> and I didn't think so much about this one. Um, I think my favorite spot is it's not called um, it's not called Oppenheimer or now it's called Oppenheimer, right? The cafe in the middle of the always been called Oppenheimer. It's always been called Oppenheimer. It's the building that's now called Oppenheimer. You got it. Now a first year residence hall. Yes. So named Oppenheimer. Yes. Um, so I would say Oppenheimer Cafe, the one in the middle of the science buildings, especially when it is either raining or snowing. Um, just seeing those beautiful like glass ceilings and um, I'm feeling like so in the middle of things on campus. Um, yeah, so that's definitely one of my favorites. I love the President's Woods. I have so many good memories in the cellar eating pizza after RDG practice or, um, yeah, but I would say Oppenheimer in the rain. What are you reading right now? Currently, I am reading a cellular biology textbook, um, which is not the most interesting thing that I've ever read. But um, the last book I read was Transcendent Kingdom by Yag Yazi. Um, Yag Yaza. I should learn how to pronounce your name, but um, it is about a neuroscientist kind of reckoning with her relationship between um, faith and science. Um, it's a fantastic book. Her uh, debut novel, Homegoing, was also incredible. Um, and I know it's hard for authors to have their second book live up to their hugely popular debut novel, but um, this one was really a great read. Where is the best place to eat in Tacoma? So I've got a few. <laughs> um, That's a lot. Um, yeah. MSM, I think, is one of my favorites. Just a really good sandwich. Um, such nice staff. Um, yeah, never a bad MSM experience. I also love the Gateway to India buffet. Um, I have not been to their buffet in quite a while. Um, fortunately, a side effect of the pandemic. Um, but it's fantastic. And I would say the other one is probably Red Hot, um, which is a hot dog place on Sixth Ave. I really stayed in a Sixth Ave direction. You did kind of take us on a tour. I'll say to you, I MSM is one of my favorite places to eat in Tacoma. Um, for people who don't know, it's a very nondescript deli with the best sub sandwiches I've ever had in my whole life. And I really, when I started this project and picked that question, thought it was going to come up. And I don't want to say that you were the first person because we've been doing this for almost three years. And so probably somebody has said MSM. There's no way I'm the first to say MSM. I'll go back and look. It came up way less than I thought it deserved. Huh. I want to just really highlight to try and make up. <laughs> yes. I love MSM. Yeah. And I don't know that you would necessarily guess from like, it's not a particularly striking building just driving past, but it's fantastic. Yeah. Once you know about it, 
you'll never just drive past it again. Yes, exactly. The last question, the final question is, why is Puget Sound special? I think this is so cliche, but it's special because of the people. Um, That was what my mom picked up on when we first stepped on campus and people were friendly and waving to this random 17-year-old. And I cannot imagine a better community than the one that I found and the one that I still have from my time at UPS. Kendall Harmon, thank you for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for PS, the Puget Sound podcast.